Let's open up to Acts 13. Uh, we are in the Gospel of Luke. We'll be back there next week. But coming through the week of humble or week of prayer and fasting, uh, last week we uh, shared with you all the things that spring out of a humble. Well, this is another passage for me that is, I just, it was there every day of humble. I just can't get away from it. I've kind of learned over the years when there's something like this happening in my heart, I just got to let go of our normal routine and, and take advantage of all that the Lord is stirring in my heart uh, for this particular passage. Also, uh, Acts is written by Luke as the Gospel of Luke is written by Luke. But here, uh, Luke tells us about a church. It's the church of Antioch. We'll pull up a map in a minute, but it's a church that changed the world. And I think the Lord would have us meditate on it a little bit this morning. Acts 13.1, if you have a Bible, or we'll pull the verses up on the screen. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. So... Uh, the first thing I just want to draw your attention to is the word church, pretty important word. Uh, we're, we are marked by the church. It's the Greek word, maybe you know, ekklesia. When we read the Bible, we're reading English, translated the New Testament from Greek, ekklesia. And ekklesia means called out ones. If you're part of Jesus's church, that's who you are. You're called out. You're called out of the world. That is, we're no longer living for the world like we once were, but we're now called out of the world, and we're now living for the Lord. We, we belong to him. We're his called out ones. I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world. I belong to the Lord. I'm his. My life is his. And so all around the world, there's the church. And here we read of the church at Antioch. Let's pull up a map. And here you see uh, down at the, uh, where the screen cuts off would be Jerusalem. And then 300 miles up is Antioch, the church that we're reading about. And Antioch became the center of world missions in the early church. Not Jerusalem, but Antioch. And we read in Acts 11, verse 21, when we're reading about what happened there in Antioch, we read, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So we're in chapter 13, but what started happening was, you know, Frankie was talking about suffering. None of us want to suffer. And yet God is a God who lets bad things, I don't know if I'm bursting your bubble here, God is a God that lets bad things happen to good people. Name a book of the Bible where God doesn't let bad things happen to the main character. But then in studying the books of the Bible, we see God's plan. We see God is always in the suffering. He never lets us suffer needlessly. He always has a plan. It usually involves him doing things in us and through us that he couldn't do in us and through us if times were easy. We think we want an easy life. But the truth is, it's in the hard, it's in the difficulty, it's in the suffering, it's in the struggle. 
that, that God does the deep, significant things in our life. And in the early church, there was this horrible persecution. They didn't want it. And it forced them to have to leave wonder for Jerusalem. And Philip went to Samaria and revival broke out. And a lot of the believers, they went north. They went up uh, 300 miles up to Antioch. And they were witnessing to other Jews. And Jews were getting saved. And then they started to witness to Gentiles. And had there not been persecution and suffering, they would have never went. But we bring up Acts 11.21, when they, they, they found themselves in Antioch, the hand of the Lord was with them. That's such an exciting phrase, the hand of the Lord. Boy, I hope you yearn for the hand of God to be upon your life. The hand of God to be upon your church. This was such an exciting time. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. You know, we're seeing a great number of people here all summer long, all year long. Every week, people believing in Jesus and turning to the Lord. That might be uh, something to evaluate. Have I done that? Have I turned from my sin? Have I turned to Jesus? Have I believed in such a way that I'm saved? The majority here, yes. But maybe you're someone that not, not really. That hasn't re there really hasn't been a turning from sin and a turning to Jesus, and, and he saved you. And, and you know that you're called out of the world, and now you belong to the Lord. You're living for him. And that was happening in a beautiful way in Antioch. Let's read about that church in Antioch, Acts 13, 1. Now, in the church that, uh, that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. And prophets are those, and we'll put it up on the screen, who by the Holy Spirit help guide the church as they speak forth the heart of God. Sometimes it can be uh, foretelling. We see that in the New Testament. Prophets would foretell. But a lot of the times the prophets would foretell. And one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is prophecy, to foretell, to tell the heart of God. Teachers are those who help ground and equip the church as they teach the word of God. And in Antioch, there was just this wonderful mix of prophets who knew the heart of God and teachers who were teaching uh, the word of God. And we read in Acts 13, 1, that we read the list of these uh, marvelous uh, gifted leaders, uh, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, uh, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who was, this is kind of interesting, Manaen had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. So as we're reading this, you notice Barnabas is mentioned first. And if, again, at reading up to chapter 13, we read that um, uh, Barnabas is mentioned first because he's the prominent leader in Antioch. Back in chapter 11, we read that uh, the Jerusalem church sent Barnabas up 300 miles. It's kind of interesting because there's up to Antioch, 300 miles, 60 miles off the coast is the island of Cyprus. And Barnabas was from Cyprus. And so this revival was taking place and, and Barnabas is from that area. So 
uh, the church in Jerusalem sends Barnabas up. And, and Barnabas is a, a study all uh, of itself that we could uh, take a whole morning and look at. We won't, but let's just take a little, a glimpse, a deeper glimpse at Barnabas's life. Barnabas was an encourager. And a lot of times people don't uh, pick up on it, but Acts 4 tells us his name was Joseph. But, but he was such an encourager that the uh, apostles renamed him. You're not Joseph, you're encourager, man. You, you're just, you can just encourage everybody. Oh, how beautiful it is in the church when there are encouragers. When there are people like Barnabas that they just have that gift of encouragement. And you also read that Barnabas was a giver. He was a very generous giver. The church was exploding. Uh, uh, Barnabas had land and he just saw, I need to sell this land and give it to the church to meet the needs of the exploding work. And, you know, whenever you study church history, whenever there's revival, there's always people stirred to be generous. Wherever there's a work of God, there's always people stirred to be generous. Uh, you might even say that uh, Barnabas had the gift, it's one of the gifts of the Spirit, the gift of giving. It's just this, some people just have a gift to give. There are a lot of times behind the scenes, they have resources, and if a work of God is happening, they're behind the scenes, they're giving. I was uh, thinking about, um, I try not to think about COVID. It's like deep scars, you know. But I think about a quarter of our church grew critical and left. And that was hard. But my evaluation is that God brought a new quarter, and it's pretty interesting. The new quarter that he brought are extremely encouraging and protective of what's here, and generous. It's just pretty spectacular to hurt so bad over those that are so angry and critical and see things so much clearer than everybody else and left, and then for God to bring people that are so encouraging and protective and even giving. You know, if you want to read in the newsletter, you could read, but in December, people gave over $100,000 in our church to pay our debt down. down that, this is such a deep desire of the leadership. $5.4 million uh, when we built the church uh, some 20 years ago, and now we're down to 1.2. And when we get under a million, we just know uh, this church is going to get to celebrate watching this church become debt-free. But, it, it, you know, it always is that there are those that are generous, have the gift of uh, giving like Barnabas, an encourager, a generous giver. Um, I think I was saying, if you want to read that, it'll be in our newsletter this week. You can read that story of the December uh, giving. And then Barnabas was available. The early church said, hey, there's a revival going on, and uh, Barnabas was available to go as the prominent leader. And you, you read these phrases straight out of the book of Acts. He was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. These are the type of people you want to be leading your church. They're encouragers. They're givers. They're available. Uh, last night, our speaker was sharing uh, to our leadership. We had almost 100 leaders gathered at the church last night for the first of seven leadership nights, and he was sharing the church needs fat leaders. Faithful, available, 
teachable. And, and I've found that a lot of times you can find faithful and you can find teachable, but there just aren't a whole lot of people available. People are busy. Well, Barnabas was available. These are, this is such a beautiful description of the type of people that God's hand can rest on in such a powerful way. He was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of faith. And then I love number seven. He was a man who sought out others not engaged in the work of the Lord, and he drew them in to serving the Lord together. It's a wonderful character of a leader that you just want to keep drawing others in to be the leaders that God wants them to be. Well, uh, we'll just talk a little bit about these. Uh, Barnabas we talked about first. Simeon, who's called Niger, and Niger means black, probably a man from Africa. Some think this is Simon of Cyrene. Uh, who was a very fruitful leader in the early church, and his sons, uh, Alexander and Rufus, became leaders. They think that because next is Lucius of Cyrene, and, and this was uh, most likely another uh, African man, perhaps the fruit of, of Simeon. We, we don't know. We're just kind of piecing those things together. And then the, Menaean is interesting. Menaean had been brought up, which is the language to say that he was a foster brother of Herod the Tetrarch. And Herod the Tetrarch is Herod Antipas, who beheaded uh, John the Baptist. And he's also the Herod who tried Jesus. That's pretty interesting to find this guy a leader in the church. That Menaean grew up, and we'll put it on the screen, he grew up in Herod's vile, polluted family, and yet the Lord rescued him and saved him and called him into the ministry. Isn't that amazing how the Lord can do that? He can take those of us from the most vile, polluted, corrupt upbringings, and, and there's a place for us to not only be saved, but serve the Lord. And then last of all, we see Saul here. So, uh, Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, and here Saul is mentioned last, and he's really under the leadership of Barnabas. And again, if you go back and you read about the leader that Barnabas was, Saul was inactive, radically saved, but it was Barnabas the encourager that went after Saul. And got him activated. Can you imagine being the guy that activates Paul? Talk about fruit to your account. And Paul, of course, wrote 13 of the New Testament books. And I just think it's so interesting this is that uh, you never really know uh, who is among us, do you? You never really know who uh, you're pouring into. You never really know who you're mentoring. You really never know who uh, you're discipling or bringing up in the Lord. Here, uh, as we read of these leaders, Saul uh, became one of the greatest leaders of the whole Bible, uh, not just the church in Antioch. And so uh, the Antioch church was blessed with an abundance of gifted leaders. That's a healthy church. And we had uh, close to 100 leaders, just a fraction of our leaders starting training this year. All the leaders of our church will go through seven weeks of training this year. And uh, that, that's a healthy church that there's an abundance of gifted leaders, but it's also healthy that uh, we see at Antioch, they came from diverse cultures and diverse backgrounds. There, there was a diversity in the Antioch leadership 
And yet in verse 2, we'll pull it up, uh, there was a unity. And that, now this is so important, diversity and unity. We're not all supposed to look the same, sound the same. Even the same gifts of the Holy Spirit, the New Testament says, looks differently through different gifted people. And, and there's just a connection between diversity and unity. It's when that is coupled that you find the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. Wherever you have leaders unified, diverse leaders unified, there's, it's, it's going to lead to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit where you have diverse leaders divided. Well, that always leads to the Holy Spirit being quenched in churches. But here we read of the unity. Verse 2, they, with just a, a unity, all these leaders ministered to the Lord. And fasted, and the Holy Spirit said, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And I want you to look up there and see that, because for a lot of us, it's a phrase we're not used to seeing. We're, we're more familiar with the concept of ministering for the Lord. We're less familiar with this phrase, they ministered to the Lord. There is, there is a place, it's an important place to minister for the Lord. But it's even of greater importance that you learn to minister to the Lord. And everything we're going to read out of here flows out of this ministering to the Lord. The NIV Bible translates it, not ministering to the Lord, but a little differently. The NIV Bible translates it while they were worshiping the Lord. Right? This ministering to the Lord, your, your eyes are on him. This isn't a time to be busy for the Lord. This is a time that your eyes are on him. This is a time your ears are open to him. This is a time that your whole life is laid bare before him. You're open you're tender, you're responsive. A lot of what the worship is when you're ministering to the Lord is you're just responding to God's love. You're responding to his holiness. You're responding to his greatness. You're ministering to him. And it's so powerful when leaders, when churches Learn to minister to the Lord because look what flows out of this. As they ministered to the Lord, you know, a lot of ways the week of humble at your church is really just a prayer week. In a lot of ways, you could just call it, it's a week that we're choosing to minister to the Lord. The activity pretty much ceases. We're ceasing all we can do for the Lord. Lord, we just want to worship you. We want to ascribe to you the greatness. We want to offer ourselves to you as living sacrifices, which Paul says, you know, really that's the most reasonable response you can have to God. It's just, God, I mean, all I am is yours. That's the most reasonable response in light of the cross, in light of your justification, in light of your salvation that you could do. And, and we read here, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, 
fasted in a lot of ways speaks of just hunger for God. I am more hungry for you than I am for physical things. Yes, I'm in this world with physical things all around me, but as the church, I'm hungry for you. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, or the Holy Spirit spoke, separate to me, Barnabas and Saul. So there's a connection there with, with ministering to the Lord and fasting and the Holy Spirit speaking. Last week, in a lot of ways, we just reported back all the ways that we were ministering to the Lord and fasting. If you didn't hear it last week, please um, get, listen online, listen to the podcast, and hear all the reports of how when we ministered to the Lord and fasted, He was speaking. There, there's a connection to ministering to the Lord, hungry for Him, attentive to him, and then he can speak to us. And how did the Holy Spirit speak? What does that mean, the Holy Spirit said, speak to me? Was there an audible voice? It's a funny thing, this last, I bet the last couple of years, I've, I, I'm really sensitive to it. People get really excited and they'll go, and God audibly spoke to me. And, and I'm, I'm looking at them because I've never heard God audibly speak, nor have I ever met anyone that I trust that has heard God audibly speak out loud. You may have heard God speak out loud. I, I, I just haven't. But I'm convinced a lot of times when people say that, they use that word audibly, and God audibly spoke to me. I think they're just saying, he, he spoke so loud and clear to me, I knew it was him. Almost always, that's what they're meaning. We, we should stop saying that audibly. But uh, how did the Holy Spirit speak? Was it an audible voice? In context... It was probably through the gift of prophecy, foretelling what God's heart was for Paul, for Saul, and Barnabas, and the work that he had for them. And how important it is that we need to learn, those of us who have the gift of prophecy, to, to speak out when God is prompting us to speak something out. You know, we read of all, all the different gifts. We'll bring up Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians also talks about all the different gifts, but having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given us. In this room, all of us have different gifts, different combination of gifts, but, but the important thing is that you learn to use your gift. Where, where a church is strong is where the people are learning what their gift is and they're using it. Where a church is weak is only a few people are using their gift and everyone else is coming to be blessed. So the strong exhortation is you have gifts. God has been gracious to you. You need to figure out a way, a way to start using them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. So when that gift is in operation in your life, it takes faith to speak it out. I've never met anyone who operates in the gifts, the gift of prophecy, where they haven't sensed the same thing. I think I'm just making this up. I think it's me. I, I'm, I, 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 and I can't speak that. I think that's just me saying that. And I'll tell you an interesting story. So I was a youth pastor 
And I was saved, and my life was just the word, the word, the word, Bible, 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 Bible. That, that was all I, that was, the, that was who I became as I got saved. But then God brought the best man in, in my wedding into my life. And oddly enough, this man was just the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And I was just like, whoa, like, that's weird. Like, you know, and, and God began to use this man to make me alive to the things of the Spirit. And God used me to cause him to become better grounded in the things of the Word so that the things of the Spirit would always be correct. And as that began, um, these words began to come to me, words of prophecy, expressing, speaking forth God's heart, sometimes words of knowledge, speaking forth things that uh, I had no way of knowing, um, you know, unless the Lord had told me them. And I started down this path where I'm just making that up, but I'm going to speak it out. And then someone would come to me and say, oh my gosh. You spoke that out. This is what's going through my life. When you said that, I cannot believe you said that. This is exactly, I was telling this to the Lord this morning, da 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 da, da. You know, um, just even a, another story comes to my mind of, our, of this church. You know, fast forward, we had some Brazilians here in our school of ministry, and this was a very unusual night on a Thursday night, very unusual night, that um, God was calling this Alexandre to be a pastor, and he was going, I, that can't be you, Lord, that can't be you, that can't be you. And then he said it in his head. He goes, if it's you, you got to tell Rob to tell me that. And, um, and so I'm teaching that night. And I, in the course of it or waiting on the Lord, I, I said, you know, I just really sense that. I just sense there's someone here and that God's calling you to be a pastor. I know I'm probably making that up, but I'm just going to speak it out. And, um, and then the Lord just spoke to my heart and said, it's Alexandre, room of 200 people. Never have done that in my life. And I go, I think it's you, Alexandre. And he was just like... Like, how did you know that? Well, that's, it takes faith. Let him who prophesies, let him who speaks out a word of knowledge or prophecy, it it takes faith. Well, I'm going to go back now to the beginning. God would give me these words. I would think I was making it up. And then God would bring the person to me. And I would speak it and God would bring someone to me and I would speak it. Every single time, I'm going to say not to exaggerate, hundreds and hundreds of times I would speak something and every single time someone would come to me and go, yeah, I can't believe you said that. that. That was me. And the day came when someone came and said, you know, you said that, that was me. And right when they said that, I sensed the Lord's heart say to me, do I still need to have people to come to you to tell you or can you trust me now? Can we take the training wheels off? Are you... Will you just speak when I t- tell you to speak? And I'll, I'll share with you that that even involves a willingness to be wrong. Because sometimes I am terribly wrong and I just have to apologize. You know, like I, I'm trying to hear the Lord, but, but let's, let's, you know, I want to acknowledge sometimes I'm just terribly wrong. And for that, I'm willing to humble myself. But you know, here we read of uh, this gift of prophecy. Let's just read a little bit more prophecy here while we're talking about prophecy and what probably happened in this church and, and hopefully just encouraging you, whatever gift you have, to, to want to use it. To want to use it to the point that where the training wheels can come off and you can actually be confident in the gift God has for you. But of prophecy, listen to what Paul said. He said, for, we'll bring it up, 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Pursue love, should all pursue love with each other, of course, central, 
and desire spiritual gifts. This is Paul, Pastor Paul, talking to the Corinthian church. I want you to be a church that you want there to be gifts at work in your life. God has gifts for you. You need to know what your gift is. You need to be using it. But look what Paul says as he's exhorting the church about gifts. Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, but especially, pastor's heart for you is that you'd prophesy. A little, little further down, he says, three verses down, he who prophesies speaks strengthening and encouragement and comfort. Whenever you're following that nudge to speak something that is is strengthening to the person you're speaking it to, I just sense this. It's so encouraging for you. I sense this. It's so strengthening for you. I sense this from God's heart. I know it will be a comfort to you. That's why Paul said, I I want you to desire gifts, but he even said in one place, I wish that you all spoke in tongues as I do, but even more than speaking in tongues, I wish you all prophesied. I wish the whole church, there was a, the ability for all of us to just be speaking to each other the strengthening, encouraging, and comforting words. In fact, I would encourage you whenever there's a strengthening, encouraging, comforting word in your heart for someone else, speak it, write it, text it. It makes for a strengthened, encouraged, comforted body of believers. Well, it was probably through prophesy that this word came. And let's come back to our our Acts 13 and go to verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now, probably through prophesy, prophecy, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So Saul was getting his, not only his teammate for world missions, being birthed out of prayer and fasting. But Paul was getting his marching orders now. This is what Paul would have known up until now. When he got saved, this is what the Lord told Ananias. We'll bring it up, Acts 9.15, the Damascus Road where Paul got saved. and, And the Lord spoke to Ananias about Paul He's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Name a story of the Bible where the key figure didn't suffer. Try to to name one. And is that so strange that the Lord has let you suffer or is letting you suffer? And and it would be something that Paul would suffer more than any of us will probably ever suffer. As you read about the beatings he went through and the shipwrecks and the persecution. And and you just read on and on about being stoned to death and and beat. And uh, so all that Paul went through. But now Paul was getting his now. Now meant there was to be no delay. And, and the timing of the Lord, we learn in so many different stories, but this Acts 13 is all about the timing. And, and for us to be the, the, the Spirit-led church, the effective church God wants us to be, it's going to come back so often to timing. You're sitting in this building because for 15 years, leaders said, now, Lord, and he said, not now, not yet, not yet. 
Not yet. Can we get realtors to go look for a building? No, not yet. Can we have a team to go look for a property? No, not yet. Not yet. No, no, not yet. Now. Realtor walks in the office. Hey, I think there's some family members that have a piece of property that if I went to them, they would sell it to the church because their grandparents were missionaries. And they're divided on what to do with this 55 acres. They don't want it to go to property development. But I think they would all agree to sell it to a church. And now happened. And so uh, Paul got the timing. Let's talk a little bit about um, Antioch and, and how it was a church marked by these things. I think it's worth in our study this morning just a few things I want to, us to be impressed with coming through the week of Humble. Antioch was a church marked by a leader, Barnabas. It's another example of churches being led by a leader in the New Testament who then led leaders. Barnabas was a leader who was drawing others into leadership. It's a beautiful mark on a church where there's, there's um, an abundance of leaders uh, being identified and raised up and using their giftings. Antioch was a church where there were leaders, an abundance of leaders, and there was diversity and unity. That's so healthy for a church to have a diversity of gifted, quality, strong leaders, and yet uh, they're all unified. That was one of the highlights of coming through COVID, that our leadership stood. Our leadership stood the test. We stayed uh, united through such dividing times. In this church, leaders um, who were first ministering to the Lord, we saw. It's a beautiful mark of, of a church that changed the world. They had learned not to just be active like a chicken with its head cut off, but they had learned to minister to the Lord until the Lord spoke as to what their ministry was to be and where they were to work and, and, and who they were to go with and all the details. They first learned to minister to the Lord. This uh, mark of a church that changed the world was a church that had learned to fast. I was talking with a leader, another pastor, and he said, last night, Daniel Fox, our, our teacher at the leadership night, and he said, a man came to me. I've heard this so many times. He goes, I've gone to church my whole life. I've never been to a church that ever taught on fasting. I've never heard a message on fasting. And churches that change the world are churches that learn to say, God, we're hungry for you. I love chocolate. I love fried food. I love good food. I love hamburgers. I love all food. But God, I'm hungry, hungrier for you. This was a church marked by prayer. The leaders saw the value of praying together. A hundred people in the prayer chapel last night. Powerful. This was a church that there was teaching the word of God. There was prophecy. The Holy Spirit was speaking. People were being called to the work of the Lord. As we already said, there was a sensitivity among these leaders to timing. If we were to keep reading on, we'd see the beautiful expression of leaders laying hands on the people. 
and the leaders that were going out. And missionaries, of course, the missionary journeys began from Antioch. But uh, let's bring up verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted and the Holy Spirit spoke, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul. I want to now I, I, I draw our attention to this. For the work to which I've called them. And, and I think at this point, this is the reason that this is what's been on my heart, as much as all of these things have been, this particular concept that there was work to be done. They couldn't engage in the work until they ministered to the Lord and were silent enough and quiet enough and still enough and hungry enough to hear what the Spirit was saying. But when they found themselves ministering to the Lord, the Holy Spirit was wanting to speak. There's work to be done. There's work to which I'm calling Barnabas and Saul to do. And I, I, there's just a connection, as we've been saying, ministering to the Lord, even fasting, praying. And there's a connection of the Holy Spirit showing it can be showing you what your gifts are because they're often connected to what's the work? And let's bring that question up. What's the work that God is calling me to do? None of us are called to just wait around until the Lord returns. That's not the message of the New Testament. You're saved. Now wait around. He'll be here soon. Can't wait till I get to heaven. The, the message of the New Testament is God has gifts for you. God has a purpose for you, and you know it. There's something in you. There's something different about you. And that even the gifts that God has for you are unique through you. What, it's a question that I want you to ask. What, and I want you to look up there, and I want you to ask that. Coming out of humble, what, what is it that God has for me? What's the work he's calling me to do? I was walking and praying for our church this morning, and the verse came to my mind of Jesus. At the end of his life, he said this. Maybe you know it. So walking down my driveway, and I, I had to look at it to say it exactly, and, and then to have it fresh in my heart, but Jesus said, I've glorified you on the earth, Father, and I've finished the work you've given me to do. That's what we all want to be able to say at the end of our life. I've glorified you, and I finished the work that you had for me. What is the work that God is calling you to do? And I'm going to show you a video that um, I came across. It, it has impacted me deeply. And I pray that even watching it will impact you because I think it speaks to those of us that aren't involved in the work that God has for us. And it, it maybe even speaks to those of us like, I'm too busy to do anymore. And it pulls back the veil on just how powerfully it will change you if you start getting part of the work. And how, it, how, how, how vastly it will change the whole church when even one person steps out of an idle life and starts to be part of the work. You can watch the video. If I'm honest, I never really liked 
the church. I didn't even really like Christians that much. I used to think of it like a package deal. Like you get Jesus and so you get the church and Christians thrown. It's just part of the package. And uh, there are some bits you like Jesus, some bits you don't like so much, just like the church and Christians um, used to find that a bit annoying. But I'd turn up the church and go through it. But I didn't really enjoy going to church. And then one day uh, I was at the back of our church in East London and someone said to me, oh, we need help to run the coffee team. And I was like, I was like working like 70, 80 hour a week. I'm like, what? And they were like, yeah, we, Steve, we really need your help running the coffee team on a Sunday. And I was thinking, I'm a barrister, I'm not a barista. Like, I've got a job, I don't need another job to run the coffee team. But I just, you know, sometimes you, you just can't even think of what to say. So I was like, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it, okay. And, and I instantly thought, why did I do that? So I turned up next week. Like, you know, trying to get the cups and everything, get the coffee right. As I handed these cups to people, something really changed in me. I found myself, as I handed coffee to these people, growing in love for them. I was like, these people are amazing. Like, this is this extraordinarily diverse community. It's been gathered from across the area. It's probably not another place that looks as diverse and integrated as this. This is a miracle. And then I, even people I found a little bit more frustrating and complicated, as I handed them their coffee, I kind of grew in love with them. And I kind of basically fell in love with the church. And then I kind of went back to the person who'd asked me to do it. I said, we need a new coffee machine. We need better beans. We need better mugs. Like, we, come on, these are amazing people. I want this to be the best coffee that they get. You know, they, they're coming to church on a Sunday morning. I got more and more passionate. I started to build a team to serve coffee on a Sunday morning. I sometimes say, Making coffee changed my life because I fell in love with the Church of Jesus Christ. I didn't realize why it was special. I didn't realize why it mattered. And as I made coffee for people, I suddenly realized, oh, the church is like the bride of Jesus Christ. It's like the thing he gave himself for. Like the church is God's plan for the salvation of the world. There's no plan B and God is gonna build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So like, God is putting all his eggs in the church basket. And I realized over those few weeks, there's a beautiful thing here. Yes, it messes up. Yes, it makes mistakes. You'll never find a perfect church, but it's a beautiful thing. And I thought, that's what I want to spend my life building. Yeah, this was not an advertisement for our uh, coffee cart out there needing volunteers. But I know Erwin and Christine are really excited about that video. Man, you guys should be getting lots of volunteers. But I don't know why that video just touches me. Just seeing that man, I guess I've seen it over and over and over. And I guess it's the pastor's heart that just longs for each of you to be answering the question, what is the work God's calling me to? I want to bring up a passage as we're finishing and, uh, and it applies uh, to the same topic we're talking about, but maybe the first half of it, maybe it comes back to the hand of God moving and, and, and people being turned to the Lord Jesus. And maybe the first half of it, you need to ask yourself, by grace you've been saved through faith. No, no Mormons can answer this verse because they don't, their church doesn't teach this. They're, they're saved by works. No Jehovah Witness can, can quote this verse because they don't believe it because their works have to be weighed to see if they're saved. The religions of the world are all works, but the Bible is different. The message of Jesus says, for by grace, that is favor you don't deserve. 
you can be saved through faith. That is faith in Jesus. It's not of yourselves. It's a, it's a gift from God's salvation. It's not of works. You can't work for it. Apart from anything you can do, you turn to Jesus, turn away from your sin and turn to him and receive the gift of salvation. Has that that be a question to ask yourself? Maybe you're drawn here for maybe for some reason. That, uh, there's a song that says, "Empty." I gotta always think how the saint says it. Um, can't say it. Empty, empty-handed. Not nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. It's the only way you can be saved. None of my prayer life, none of my church life, none of my giving, none of my being good. That can't save me. I'm saved when I turn to Jesus and receive the gift of God, not of works. But why are we looking at this verse? And that may apply to you this morning. There may be someone that the the hand of God is moving powerfully to bring you to salvation. But what we do read is we read the rest of the verse where his workmanship, or the Greek word is his poem, could be translated, you're his masterpiece. We're not saved by our good works, but you are saved for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. And we all have that in common. Every single person here wants to know, why has the Lord laid hold of me? What's the work he has for me? What's my gift? What's the work that the whole, you know, and I would encourage if you don't know, spend more time ministering to the Lord until you hear him speaking. This is what I'm calling you to do, to be. This is your gift. This is why you gravitate to that. This is why you're so burdened for this. This is why you have eyes to see this isn't being done right. You're his workmanship, this beautiful masterpiece, this beautiful poem. God is writing this beautiful piece of of literature through your life. He has these works for you to walk in them. And and Paul, would you just come up as we're closing? Uh, Paul has been sharing this pretty much nonstop with our leaders and in different circles. And I asked him at the close of our service if he wouldn't speak it. So a couple... A couple weeks ago, I was in South Korea, and I was helping my father-in-law clean out his study. And there were hundreds and hundreds of books that we were boxing and storing away and giving away and things like that. And came across one of the books that, you know, God was speaking to me, this is something that I should bring to Calvary Chapel. Um, I forgot to take a picture, but I texted my father-in-law, and he knew exactly the book among the hundreds. So this is it. And it's in Korean, so I'll translate for you. But this is a book listing every single American missionary from 1892 to 1987. So everybody that's ever served in ministry from the United States to South Korea. If you go to the next page, this is a, one of the pages of Table of Contents. Every single missionary, their names, their Korean names, their gender, what year they came to Korea, what year, what year they left, If you go to that page inside the book, 
Then they tell you what church they served in, where they served in, where they're from. And I can, I can bet, I think, all the money that I have that most of these people, even their family members, don't remember who they were or what they did. I can almost guarantee you most of these churches that have sent these missionaries, they don't know who they are and they don't know what they did. But it is, it is in this book. So the message for you, my church family, is that God has a record like this in the age to come. Maybe this is a little bit different from what, what I shared with Rob, but maybe you're one of those people that think that I've fallen flat in this life. What am I doing all this for? And the message for, for you all is that it is all written and nothing that you do for the kingdom is a waste or will be forgotten. And one day, we will all come to know the complete truth. And isn't that amazing? There are going to be people. Thank you, Paul. There are going to be people that none of us have ever heard of, but the Lord knows them, and the Lord knows what they did. I want to put these verses on as we close the, the morning. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. maybe you know it. For many of us, it's a memorization verse. Therefore, my beloved brethren, we'll close the service with this. Be steadfast. Don't give up. Be immovable. Don't let culture move you away from the work God has for you, but always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. God's a rewarder of those who serve him. It's all in his book. Man, just keep abounding. Keep looking. Stay in the work. Yes, Jesus is coming. Get to work. If Jesus hasn't yet come, all it means is get to work. There's work to be done until he comes. Find a place you can work. Find a place where you can serve. Use your gift. I'm going to put the last verse of the morning before you. Hebrews 6.10. God is not unjust. We know that. God's a just judge. He's not unjust to forget your work. And your labor of love, right? It's not just a labor, like, I'll do it. No, <laughs> the Holy Spirit wants to work a labor of love. And this word labor speaks of using all of the capacity that you have as a human being to do what God is calling you to do. God is not unjust to forget your work. He knows you put yourself out there. You, you threw all that you are into labor for God, for his kingdom, for his people, to serve them. You made it a labor of love, and God is not going to forget what you've shown toward his saints and to, toward uh, his name and that you've ministered to the saints. And, and Paul just finishes, and do minister. Keep ministering. Let, let's bow our heads here, and let's, let's just have that moment that we, at the end of the service, that we're able to just let the Holy Spirit speak to us. The worship team can come back up. What is it that God is calling you to?
What is it that you gravitate towards? What is it that God seems to bring back to you? What is your heart? Maybe to say it on your lips. Maybe to write it on your phone. Maybe to whisper it in your spouse's ear or a friend's ear. Maybe you have a word of prophecy for someone else. I know what God is calling you to, and maybe you need to speak that to them. Maybe that's the way the Holy Spirit will speak to them, is that you had a word for them. But what's the work that God is calling you to? Separate unto me Saul and Barnabas to the work that I've called them. And we're going to take communion at this time. And uh, during this song, I think we're just going to hold the bread. We're going to hold the cup. We're going to wait to the end of the song to all partake. And, and when we come to communion, we're thinking of another work. We're thinking of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And, and I think today as we, we hold the cup, we want to say, Lord, you finished the work. You went to the cross for me. And there, the Lord wants to, us to bring a yearning that, Lord, I want to be part of the work. I want to finish the work you have for me. I want to be part of the work that you have for my life. I don't know what it is, Lord, if you don't know. And just hold the cup. Hold the bread. You're thanking God. He, Jesus finished the work for you, and, and you can just yearn. But Lord, I want my life to count. I want to labor with all I am for what you have laid hold of me for. And just express that to him this morning. And then at the very end, we'll all give thanks together and we'll, we'll partake. And also, I want to encourage you, if you're not saved, nothing in your hands you can bring to save you. But there's grace to save you. There is favor. God loves you. His favor is shining on you today. If you can see that you need to be saved, that's the favor of God. And I, I want to encourage you right where you sit right now to just, just make a full surrender of your life. Jesus, save me. I have nothing you did it all at the cross, and I receive that. I receive the gift of eternal life. You could pray that. Jesus, I receive the gift of eternal life. Nothing of myself. It's your gift. If you're not saved, if it hasn't changed your life, then you need to be crying out, Lord, save me and change my life. If you're not if you're not called out of this world and part of a church that belongs to Jesus, you need to cry out that you'd be part of that community. That I don't belong to this world. I belong to the Lord. I'm living for Him. If that hasn't happened, cry out for the Lord to save you and change you. That could be so powerful for you if you would, you would cry that out from your heart. Lord, save me. I receive. Just pray that. Say, Lord, Lord, I, I admit that I'm a sinner and I, I need to turn from my sin. I admit that. And Jesus, I, I believe 
you went to the cross for me. I believe that. And pray, Lord, I receive that now. We're going to take communion. Let's come on up. Take the bread and the cup back to you.